Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Tom Prokop. He's the Associate Director at the Independent Distributor Alliance Corporation. So, Tom, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Tats. I appreciate it. Awesome. So I looked at your background. You started in finance. What was the original plan? I did, yeah. So I uh, went to the University of Scranton, got a degree in uh, finance and economics. And uh, my kind of my whole high school slash college career really thought I was going to go work on Wall Street. and uh, Wanted to be a trader, got a role as a uh, proprietary trader for a firm up there. Did it for a little while and quickly realized that uh, sitting at a trading desk and staring at six computer monitors for uh, 70 hours a week wasn't really the life that I wanted to do for the next 40 years. So quickly had to uh, kind of say, oh boy, now uh, now what do I really want to do when I grow up? And started looking uh, looking for other opportunities that were out there. Yeah. So I noticed that in the title, you, you went to Certainty and you have sales marketing analysts. So I'm thinking, did you move from six screens to three screens? What was it? What was the yeah, change? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty accurate description. Yeah, so uh, lots of analysis around market dynamics, pricing, customer product segmentation it was a really fun role. Allowed me to really kind of get my feet wet in the industry. Learned a tremendous amount about the different not only products and product families that were out there, but also customer types. Was very fortunate in that role where I got a fair amount of exposure to uh, a number of different people, and it was. It was a great opportunity for me to really network and and learn a lot. Awesome. And then it looks like you've gone into the product side, very product specific side. Yeah. So I uh, was, was in the sales and marketing analyst role. Uh, that role kind of evolved while I was in there and also took on some more strategy type of type of tasks around the budget process and long range planning process. And then certainty and announced um, that they were going to close the Tampa Gypsum office when they uh, moved the, to the new corporate headquarters and moved the whole Gypsum team up there. So as part of that process, there were a couple of opportunities that, uh, that opened up for folks that didn't want to relocate. Uh, one of those was in product management. So I uh, got to join the product management team over there. That role also kind of evolved as I was in it and I uh, had the opportunity to kind of build my own team. So I was able to hire some associate product managers uh, and an analyst reported up to me. And that was really cool. It was the first time uh, in my career I ever got to kind of build a team a bit from the ground up. So, uh, so it was very yeah. exciting for me. And what sort of products were you working with? Were you in roofing at that time or were you just kind of in between? I was not. So, uh, so their gypsum product or their gypsum division, as they call it, is focused on gypsum wallboard products. So as laymen call it, drywall. So I was responsible for the product management of all the board products at, at that point in time. Yeah, for sure. And then it evolved into, it looked like metal roofing. Yeah. So I uh, so did that role for a couple of years. As I mentioned, uh, it was a neat experience to kind of build out the product management team there. Uh, and an opportunity presented itself. Certainty uh, decided to enter the metal roofing product category about a year before I took the role. And I guess it became pretty apparent to the the leader of the roofing group at the time that they needed a, a dedicated 
resource dedicated person to kind of manage that part of the business. They have a slightly different customer base, both on the contractor and the distribution side of things. Certainly some overlap with the uh, asphalt shingle contractors, but uh, but also there's a fair number of folks out there that specialize in metal. So I took that role, had a handful of salespeople on my team, and uh, in that role was really responsible for uh, the general management of the product line. So yeah. Uh, I mean, in the entirety of CertainTeed, what were the key lessons that you learned? What, what really stands out? Because you came from a finance background. You've gone from, I mean, obviously, if you're a product manager, you're, you're dealing with clients more and you're out yep. there more. I mean, what are the key things that you sort of took away from sort of that company, various roles and stuff like that? Yeah, I guess kind of my number one takeaway is uh, at the end of the day, this is still very much a relationship business. And you can't manage via a spreadsheet as much as that's a kind of a natural, natural space for me. Given my background, I still probably overanalyze things more than I should, but critically important to get out there face-to-face communications. I've heard it put belly-to-belly selling. Still at the end of the day is how this industry works. And uh, I guess the other key takeaway is even though the products are very similar across the country, it's still very much a regional business. So there's different, even though it's similar product attributes, there's different preferences and a local market dynamics that exist within the market. I think sometimes, particularly when you look at it at a macro level, we get caught up in kind of, okay, what's the country doing? And you could have overall market dynamics where the market's very strong, uh, but within that have pockets of the country that are actually very soft. And I think realizing that and being able to uh, adapt and adjust to that uh, yeah. D- does that mean that when you were running your group or the, the, the company's philosophy in general, was it sort of leaning towards regional autonomy or was there a coordination between sort of a, a national and a regional? Like, how do you see that? Yeah, no, there de- definitely was coordination, needs to be coordination, right? I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's still one brand and one brand speaking to the to the customer base and there are national players, right? So uh, some very large national players. So I think you need to have that relationship across all levels, right? So I think at the corporate level, corporate level, the corporate supplier to the corporate level manufacturer need to connect. But then below that, both at the regional and at the local level, you need to have those relationships established across all those different points, or at some point you're not gonna you're not gonna be successful. So uh-huh. it can't just be local level relationship, right? Because at the end of the day, the corporate still going to dictate some things uh, and it can't just be a corporate level relationship because you need those local people feet on the street to actually get these things done so it really needs to be buttoned up across all aspects yeah there's so obviously there's always some sort of give and take that needs to occur sure absolutely yeah for sure now i'm trying to understand from CertainTeed, you moved to american wholesale is which is a co-op so i'm trying to understand yeah how that occurred because you know you know, going from a company to a co-op must must have been a, a different leap. Like, what were your thoughts there? For sure, it was a uh, went from a large multinational corporation to a, a small office uh, cooperative. So, kind of how that occurred, I guess, when I was working for Certainty, the American wholesale members were customers of mine, so got to know a number of those. Also, uh, the Previous American Wholesale Executive Directors and Associate Director had also come from CertainTeed, um, so had various levels of relationships with those folks. But always kind of looked at the group as 
when I looked at the American wholesale members at the time, they were kind of always the preeminent suppliers or distributors within their local market and really good group of individuals. In a lot of cases, family-owned, family-run businesses, kind of a group of entrepreneurs, very passionate about the business, typically had a longer time horizon view of things that allowed them to be more creative, whether it was in launching new products or supporting uh, certain initiatives. And I always looked at the group as kind of aspirationally what I thought uh, good distributors looked like. Um, So when I saw that the opportunity opened, itself up uh, for an associate director position. I thought, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of the manufacturing side of things, spent roughly a dozen or roughly 10 years there and thought I knew a lot about distribution. And it has been very eye-opening for me to actually kind of get a peek behind the curtain of uh, what the distribution world has looked like. Because what I thought I knew uh, is very, very minimal compared to what I know today. So incredibly grateful for to those people for giving me the opportunity and for kind of allowing me to be in some way, shape or form a part of their businesses. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Let's, let's talk more about American wholesale and the members and you know, what, what the value proposition there is. Cause from my understanding, you know, I always think of co-ops as the purchasing power and all those things. And, but I think best practices sounds like your kind of core key, which it cascades out from there. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the procurement piece is important and the members need to be competitive with others and within their local market. Um, But I think the philosophy of formerly the American wholesale members and now the IDAC members has always been, as long as they're competitive uh, on the purchasing side of things, they have a very good opportunity or very good chance of winning and taking a market leadership position in the markets that they serve. And that's really where the best practices side of things comes in. Kind of the philosophy is while you need to be competitive, you're never going to purchase your way to prosperity and you can buy something for the cheapest amount. But if you can't execute effectively operationally or don't uh, have a strong focus on the commercial side of the business from sales and marketing initiatives, uh, you're never going to be ultimately successful. So that's where we kind of take the relationship down to the next level. So a lot of these types of organizations that relationship exists at the owner level or at the CEO level. And that peer network is critically important to our group as it is to many groups. I think what differentiates previously American wholesale and now IDAC is taking that down a step further, really looking at the functional leader level. So whether that be all the operations managers, all the sales managers, CFOs, credit managers, IT managers, you name it, establishing a network amongst those individuals where Ultimately, even though they're in separate markets in many cases, they still sell similar products, similar scale in terms of size, number of locations, purchasing power. So have similar challenges. And if you're an IT manager at one of these companies or the ultimate IT leader, kind of within your own organization, the buck stops with you. But within the network, there's likely 10, 15, 20 other companies that are experiencing very similar challenges. So why not harness the brain power of the overall organization, bring in outside resources where we need to, but get together and help kind of solve those very large problems as a group, as opposed to trying to solve it individually 32 different times. Yeah. 
I mean, we, without going to specific companies or whatnot, what what are the biggest challenges that you sort of, you know, that tackle within the distribution, the building materials distribution? Yeah, so I think a couple of things stand out. One is recruitment, retention, onboarding of labor. Labor is a huge challenge for our industry, both at the contractor level, folks that are actually installing the products, but also within uh, our member companies. I mean, I think you can read any major economic publication and on a pretty regular basis, they're publishing something around the shortage of labor. Obviously, a big component to a distributor's key role is transportation of products from their warehouse onto a job site. Read a lot about the shortage of truck drivers that are out there. I think a pretty common number that's quoted out there is that the industry is short roughly 80,000 drivers. That has a dramatic impact on our members. So I think that's probably a number one challenge is uh, bringing on not only good people, but also then once they're on board, making sure you have them in the right seat to ultimately enable them to be successful uh, and drive the success of the organization. Number two, I think, is the ever-evolving landscape of what technology tools looks like. So I've looked at our industry as kind of an old school type of an industry. Some folks that may be slower to adopt to, uh, to new technologies, a little bit of the philosophy of we've always done it this way and to be successful. Why do we need the change? I also think some of that is driven by the fact that if you look at the contractor companies, and this is broadly speaking, obviously there's some incredibly sophisticated companies that are out there today. But historically, I think what you've seen is contractor would have a crew of people. At some point in time, one of those individuals on that crew would spin off and start their own organization. And they kind of take the business practices that they saw be successful for the company they worked for prior and adopt those. Um, and some of that was legacy next generation folks taking over, but also they were incredibly effective artisans of their trade, meaning they were really good at installing product, but may not be a sophisticated business owner. And I think that's really evolving quite rapidly now. I, COVID was obviously a catalyst to that. Folks had to adopt. They couldn't necessarily get inside the home. Uh, to sell to folks and just the plethora of tools that are available out there to help the relationship all the way from the supplier to the distributor, distributor to the contractor, and the contractor to the homeowner. It's really quite amazing. And navigating that network is a challenge, right? Trying to, I think anytime you look at technology, particularly technology where you have that vast of an array of tools out there, trying to pick the right partners can always be a challenge. So I'd say help navigating what that landscape looks like, obviously not feasible or prudent to try and partner with all of them, but trying to kind of pick who those winners are early on can be a challenge because the fear is if you pick somebody and a third or a half of your contractor base goes with a different tool, you don't want to isolate those customers, right? So trying to be successful navigating that without doing too much uh, certainly is presenting a challenge. Yeah. For sure. Now, you mentioned IDAC earlier. Explain that. You recently merged with another organization with similar goals and and values. What was the rationale behind that? Yeah, so I think certainly when I was on the supplier side of things, even before I came to American Wholesale, there was kind of two industry groups out there with very similar companies, both size and scale products they sell, business philosophies, uh, American Wholesale, and then uh, Building Suppliers Corp. So BSC uh, was the other group. 
And even when I was on the supplier side, things we looked at it and said, you know, with with all the consolidation that's going on in the industry, it really would make sense for these two groups to come together. I think when you asked either group's members, they'd probably say they thought they were less similar than they actually were. And I think as we've put the two groups together, folks are starting to realize that. So uh, something that I know is in the works for a long time, certainly predated me to, uh, to join the group, but uh, incredibly thankful to the folks on the steering committee and the, the team that was able to make this happen because ultimately putting these two groups together makes a lot of sense. It's a win for the members. It's a win for both groups. I think it's a win for the supplier community and ultimately is going to position all of the members to be stronger moving forward, uh, which if you look at both groups' philosophies or what, what their missions are, it's to make the members stronger and better run organizations and help do that in any way they can. And by just bringing more brain power into those best practice sharing meetings, getting different ideas, different philosophies, different thought processes, that diversity of thought is really powerful. And yeah. I'm really excited to see uh, what IDAC is able to do to help take all the members to kind of the next level. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you said it predated you a little, but you must know, I mean, when you start conversations like that, because like you said, you started off with two groups thinking that they're quite different. What's the playbook or what you what, what did you see that that was good that helped this happen? Because obviously sometimes these mergers or these ideas don't happen. So what do you think was helpful to making sure this happened? Like, what, how did it sort of phase out? Again, I think it comes down to number one, make sure you have the right people sitting down, right? People that are motivated on both sides of the table to move this forward in a thoughtful way that is amicable for all parties involved. I think it's it, very similar to when you do any sort of business negotiation, whether it's selling to buy-sell type of relationship, whether it's an acquisition or a merger. And I think ultimately approaching it as a merger of equals was really philosophically important to both sides. I think having a handful of kind of rocks where you're not going to budge on things that's important to each group is important, but you also need to understand as with any sort of thing, negotiation like this, there's going to be gives and takes and being willing to sit down, have hard conversations, work through challenging problems with the ultimate goal in mind of at the end of the day, if we if both sides exited it with the thought that it's going to make the company stronger, just keeping that in the back of your mind, I think you can really work through some pretty difficult challenges. And I think as long as you approach any sort of dialogue like that and discussion like that, um, you can accomplish a lot more than uh, most people would think as they initially go into something. Awesome. Now, here's a topic. And I've asked other other distributors before, but I'm sure you've, you've tackled this before. There's a lot of talk about, you know, online distribution and, and direct and stuff. And I'm sure you, you probably had these questions before. How, do, how does a distributor remain relevant or how, do, how will that change or not change going forward? Uh, yeah. So obviously, I think that's a risk or a concern. A couple of different dynamics at play there. Uh, one, I think, goes back to something we talked about earlier on in the discussion where this is still very much a relationship business and people buy from people. I understand that 
Amazon and other online platforms have changed that a bit. But ultimately, I think people want to buy from people that they like. And there's a lot of long-standing, long-term relationships in this business. I think continuously reminding people of that, being able to show relevance, show the benefit of what those relationships get and give to both sides can be critically important. The other piece is that differentiates this business from some, but not all, is we typically trade in very large, bulky, heavy items that are difficult to transport long distances in a cost-effective manner. And I think the ultimate challenge is always kind of what is that last mile to serve? How do you serve that last mile? And that's really the space that all distributors play in, right? They break bulk issue credit and ultimately serve that last mile of the contractor. Uh, I think it would be incredibly challenging for someone to step in, also cost prohibitive for someone to step in and try and fulfill that in the short term. Could it happen? Absolutely. Is it a risk? I think if you look at anybody's SWOT analysis or long-term plan, yeah, a scenario like that is a risk on any distributor's radar. I personally don't see it happening in the short term. Um, and I could be very wrong about that. But uh, but I think that distribution continues to prove why they're a critically important part of the value chain. And I think as long as, again, they continue to uh, to provide that service in an effective manner, and I don't see why a, why a manufacturer would want to circumvent that right now. Yeah. Hey, when, when you're not, um, you know, working on this, pushing this organization forward, what are you doing? Yeah, what, hobbies, family? Yeah, family. So uh, pretty busy home life. Uh, married, have three children with a fourth one on the way within the next six weeks. So uh, so getting geared up for that. Love spending time with the family and the kids. Love being outside. So kind of most of my hobbies are outdoor oriented. I like mountaineering, love to fish love to run. So really uh, anything that gets me outside and away from a glowing rectangle uh, is a win for me and uh, is really how I personally recharge. When I test on any of the Myers-Briggs or any of those, I always test extremely extroverted. All my hobbies are incredibly introverted. So it's uh, if you look at, I like just to be outdoors in peace and solitude and, the, and away from technology is uh, kind of when I'm in my happy place. And then just allows me to ultimately come back and be a lot more focused and engaged when I get back in front of things. Yes. From six screens to no screens, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share? No, just I think, uh, again, thank you very much for the invitation to participate in this. Love the partnership that we have going with Castagra. Really incredibly innovative and exciting product line. No, I mean, nothing else for mine. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>